Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Katie Waksberger, the co-founder of Dana, an Abu Dhabi-based accelerator and funding platform for women-led startups in desert tech, including the sectors of agritech, food tech, water solutions, renewable energy, circular economy, and waste management. Dana offers startups a tailor-made program, including hands-on mentorship, business model construction, proof of concept and feasibility testing, corporate design partnerships, AI implementation, go-to-market, and more. And she's passionate about the technology already embedded in the way of our natural environment and believes in the endless capabilities of female founders. So thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. Thank you, Yasmin, for having me. So Katie, I'd love to kick it off and ask you what the value proposition is of Dana, why you decided to start it, and and also what Dana means in Arabic for those who are maybe um, not an Arabic-speaking uh, listener. Sure. Um, so I'm actually one of three co-founders of Dana. Um, one of my co-founders at Hajj was working on a startup uh, for quite some time with a woman named Dana Salah from Ramallah, uh, who in 2020 was tragically killed in an accident. Um, and their mentor, Shirley Shahar, uh, who was actually working with them for quite some time on their startup, uh, decided that they were going to go into business and uh, create something in Dana's name. So that's when they started to work on the project, uh, building an acceleration program for female founders and women-led startups in the realm of desert tech, which is uh, Shirley's uh, sort of her specialty. And then I got involved from the UAE and, you know, really saw the potential of those sectors specifically in the GCC, um, you know, noticing the trend towards increased emphasis on food security, uh, the growing importance and the growing value of the agritech sector worldwide, but specifically in developing markets. And, uh, you know, just seeing the success of women-led startups specifically from the region and, and the resilience of female founders from some of the countries that we target in terms of our outreach and go-to-market strategies, uh, it kind of seemed like a natural fit. So essentially what we do is uh, we work really hands-on with startups from around the MENA region. We have startups in our cohort from the UAE, Palestine, Israel, Egypt, and Saudi. And we work very closely with them in terms of developing solutions that are simultaneously uh, practical and can be implemented on the corporate level, that can be implemented also on the B2G level in terms of sustainability solutions, uh, solutions for the challenges of food security that the region faces. Uh, solutions for the challenges of waste management that are becoming more and more prominent and more and more dangerous uh, and doing so in ways that are obviously also creating more value in those sectors. Uh, we're, we're very fascinated to see the food tech sector and the agri-tech sector specifically growing exponentially every single year. Uh, they remain pretty untouched in our region 
you know, there's a lot of lip service being paid to these notions of sort of food security, desert agriculture, but we we still we still haven't seen uh, these sectors really grow to even half of their full potential. So, uh, yeah, that's really what we're about. Wow. So amazing. I actually had not heard of the term desert tech before, and I just love that. And I, (laughs) the umbrella of all the different um, kind of verticals that you're focused on is, I think, incredibly important for where we are today with climate change, especially. So I'm just such a huge fan. I mean, we also, we, we believe a lot in branding, you know, so we believe in sort of branding our own sector, but, but also it's, um, it's it's a deep belief that the desert is is very much a resource and it's not it's not just this you know massive and growing phenomenon in our world that we all need to be uh sort of terrified of it's actually a massive source of potential in terms of you know studying how the desert functions as an ecosystem the kind of potential for renewable energy that lies in the desert um you know, the agricultural untapped potential of the desert. You know, I think that we're we're tapping into a much larger trend by using this term. If you see like uh, the the agricultural uh, incentives that are being rolled out now in Egypt, in Sinai, in Morocco, in Iraq, in in Saudi, like it's incredible to see how everyone's realizing that we don't have the luxury to just, you know, leave that land to stand arid and and to leave that potential untapped. We need to start to figure out how we can cultivate the soil, cultivate the sand and turn it into something that can actually flourish and, and feed our civilizations. Wow. So fascinating. And can we double click on maybe some of the companies that are in your accelerator that you would like to highlight for some of the innovative work that they're doing uh, with respect to things like desert tech and food innovation and some of the other um, industries that you mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are so many. Uh, I'll start I'll start with one that uh, is sort of particularly desert-y, um, just because we're <laughs> talking about the desert. So we have one company called Daytonal. Uh, they're taking waste from the date production um, um, essentially dates that are not marketable because they're not high enough quality, but also date waste from the palms themselves and, uh, converting them into various different end uses, including ethanol as a biofuel, ethanol as a medical product, and also, um, bioplastics. So that's a really exciting one for us. Um, it's not only innovative on the technological level, but it's also innovative in terms of how um, the economic, you know, how the business structure is planned. Um, sorry, how the business plan is structured. So essentially, you know, dates are are one of the commodities that our region is investing in more and more because it's relatively easy to grow and you can uh, irrigate dates to some extent with salt water, but uh, the consumer market isn't growing together with the supply. So, you know, there it's it's one of those products that it you know really requires a kind of creative, um, a creative approach to thinking about new end uses, especially as the market grows uh, and the supply and the demand doesn't really follow. 
We also have an incredible company uh, that's coming out of Gaza. And they were the first solar implementation company in the Gaza Strip. And they recently scaled up to Saudi. And we're working with them on creating uh, basically a tech layer for solar panels that make the maintenance and um, energy efficiency accessible to developing markets. So usually when you have like large corporates or uh, government entities going into some of these developing markets and installing solar panels, um, if you go back to these sites a few months later, you see that they've been completely abandoned or they aren't properly maintained. Um, so we're helping to develop an AI-based uh, user interface for markets where uh, maintenance and and uh, upkeep is something that needs to sort of be uh, brought into the workforce as well. Um, we have a company in Abu Dhabi that is doing uh, compost development from coffee waste. So she's working with one of the largest uh, coffee chains in the UAE to um, up, up use it. Uh, sorry, uh, it's like a circular economy, uh, various uses for coffee waste, including compost and agricultural substrates. We have another company that's doing um, polymer organic uh, essential oil-based um, pesticide solution for indoor farming and greenhouses, which is especially exciting because in 2022, the U.S. is going to outlaw about 40% of pesticides. So, yeah, that's just a few, just uh, some of our some of our stars. Wow, I'm <laughs> so impressed. Uh, all these companies sound incredible. And how do you go about selecting some of the founders in your accelerator? What's your due diligence process like? And what are you really looking for? So, you know, um, I guess any investor will tell you that uh, you bet on you bet on the ride or not on the horse, right? So the first thing that we look for is resilience, creativity, you know, being founders ourselves, we know the type of shit that you have to go through in order to, to sort of, you know, see any kinds of like profit or success or especially as a woman and especially in the region. Uh, so we really look for resilience. We look for that sort of like spark in the eye, you know, when someone, someone really cares about what they do and, and you can tell that they're doing it not only for the money, but also because they really believe in the product. So that's sort of, that's sort of the first thing, you know, from there, especially in our sectors that are so time intensive and capital intensive, um, it's like, there's going to be at least two, three pivots before, before anything really comes out of that. So, so, you know, it's really about the founder first and foremost, but, but second of all, you know, um, we are also investors, so we look for companies that we think have real uh, go-to-market potential. We look for companies that we think um, are easily adaptable, sort of into the corporate environment, in uh, the agricultural spheres and the food production spheres. They're very different than, um, you know, deep tech or 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 any of you know any sort of digital. AI software based uh, sectors because 
These are very hands-on, hardware-based. There's a lot of prototype development that goes into this. There's a lot of proof of concept that goes into this. You know, we have our own beta sites where we actually carry out, you know, physical feasibility testing uh, with farmers, with supply chain, with uh, packaging houses. So we look for, you know, products that are rel- relatively simple, um, that, that you know, on the technological level don't require, um, you know, too much uh, pivoting, too much uh, more prototype development. And then um, we're really interested in the potential of developing markets. So, you know, we re- for example, some of the markets that we see the most significant potential in terms of agriculture, in terms of uh, food production are Egypt, Morocco, KSA, India, Pakistan. Um, so we look for products that are relevant in these developing markets. So, you know, precision agriculture is amazing in terms of what it can do, but in terms of how it can be adopted and um, integrated into some of these developing markets where, you know, a lot of the, you know, cooperatives or farmers or large food production corporates aren't or cannot, maybe they just don't have the capacity in some cases to really adopt complex tech solutions. So um, one of our startups, for example, has a hydrogen organic um, uh, spray that triples the shelf life of fruits and vegetables. And it's especially uh, interesting for us, not only because of the chemistry and, and what it does, but because it's manufactured in a very cost, uh, a very cost efficient and material efficient uh, manner. So it cannot, it, it doesn't have to be constantly imported. It can actually be produced and manufactured in some of these economies and some of these markets, and it can be applied by anyone, just like you know, by hand. It doesn't require like a special facility. So these are some of the things that we really look for, you know, simplicity, um, you know, uh, easily implementable and and creative. And, and then, and then you know, also uh, when it comes to sustainability, like it's very important for us to see that um, the, the, the production of the actual product or, you know, some of the... Um, processes that it needs to go through a lot of times those processes themselves are quite energy efficient or um you know fuel efficient so we also like to make sure that we're also walking the walk and that the technology that we work with is not just um green in terms of the marketing but is also green in terms of uh, the actual outcome in terms of carbon footprint Mm, wow can you walk me through how long some of these companies stay within the accelerator? Is there like a a jumping off point where if they reach a certain kind of growth stage that they sort of move out of the accelerator? Um, like what's sort of the sweet spot that you guys focus focus on? I know that you mentioned, you know, proof of concept and go to market. So it seems like that's more on the early stage, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like how does that work and how do you know when people are sort of ready to go off into their own space? Sure. I mean, so we're very bespoke in, in the way um, that we build our program. 
each startup has, it's like a very different contract with us. Um, and it, it can go up until investment. So, you know, in the worst case scenario, we work with a startup for a few months. It was, it was nice. And then we sort of part ways at the end of that. Um, you know, in some cases we'll offer the startup seed funding sort of towards the end of our acceleration contract with them. Uh, and sometimes we'll actually extend the acceleration period together with the seed funding. And then for the startups that are coming out of the program uh, that have received seed funding and we see them as great investment opportunities, then uh, we also invest in them. So, you know, they can stay with Dana, you know, up until they exit if we become investors. But uh, in other cases, it's just sort of until the end of our contract, which is determined at the beginning of our work together. And, um, you know, there are also startups that, that, that are great and, and, you know, we don't invest in them and, and it, we just sort of maintain a, a really friendly, supportive uh, relationship after they graduate the program. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, that, that's also fine. It, it really looks different with each company. And there, for some companies, we just don't have anything we can offer them anymore. And, and we sort of just let them go on their way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's very bespoke and it's very tailor-made really to the needs of each company and each founder. So I also want to talk about, um, how the pandemic may have shifted the way that you operate, uh, Donna. Yeah, it's a and great yeah, cause I'm sure that that was probably a huge impact on some of these industries. Yeah, I mean it's it's actually fascinating because well we this this project was born in the pandemic. Um and you know it's so funny because I actually didn't meet one of my co-founders until about 3 months into the project and when I met her she was like oh my god you're so short. <laughs> I was like <laughs> I guess I have a an, I give off an impression of a tall person on Zoom but I'm like five three. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. This whole project was born on Zoom, and you know, we live in different countries, and uh, we have stakeholders, we have startups, we have investors, we have beta sites, like all throughout the Middle East. Uh, we're registered and based in Abu Dhabi, but you know, we don't. It doesn't really mean anything in terms of geographic location. We really like to take advantage of the fact that COVID has sort of ushered in an era of, you know, making it very acceptable that we can do business across borders on Zoom. Uh, and especially for women, you know, one of my partners has four kids. Like the fact that she's able to run this multinational venture while taking care of like, you know, all of the noise in her house is just amazing. I mean, it's it, it offers completely new opportunities for women. Uh, we have two founders who are new moms who have given birth in the past six months. And, you know, if they're going to, you know, complete their tasks at 4 a.m. in the morning or at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, like, I don't care. You know, it's like I, I sort of think that this digitization has increased everyone's flexibility and uh, in, in a lot of cases have allowed for women to sort of maintain some of the domestic responsibilities or social responsibilities that they still desire to maintain while becoming founders. So 
we love it. We love this new way of life. You know, I personally, I do a lot of uh, home agriculture. I have my own, you know, garden on my rooftop in Dubai. And the fact that I can take calls while I'm like, you know, shoveling the compost, it's, uh, I think it's huge. I think it's uh, a great, you know, for, for whoever chooses to see it like this, I think it can be um, a, a huge advantage for mental health um, and, you know, bring a lot of new players sort of into the game. So Katie, I want to talk a little bit about the profile of the founders that have been brought into the accelerator. Uh, are they scientists? Like have a lot of them have do they have like the background um, in these industries or have you seen more of like an entrepreneurial uh, type of founder come through? Like what, what does the profile generally look like? Um, it's, it's quite diverse. Um, one of our founders is like a very weathered professor at a top university in Abu Dhabi. Uh, and she spent a lot of time doing research on her topic before she decided to go and turn it into a company. And when she did, it was like a lot of that sort of basic business knowledge was missing. Um, and, you know, we were really happy to sort of be able to provide support on that end. On the other hand, um, you know, we have founders who came from the prop tech industry and they spent their whole careers doing something totally different until they noticed that, you know, circular economy is up and coming and, and this is where money is to be made. And they were like, okay, we're going to do a waste management startup. Uh, cool. You know, and then it's, it's, you know, we sort of get to put our heads together and think about where this founders gaps are and, and how we can tap into our network in the various ecosystems that we're, uh, sort of, you know, based in and, and how we can bring expertise from other parts. And, and I think what's really fun and challenging and uh, also in some ways uh, an outcome of the pandemic is in some cases we're sort of able to bring, you know, co-founders or team members from other parts of the region onto teams. And then we give a specific startup, you know, an advantage in a market that maybe they wouldn't have had access to if they didn't have a team member from that market. So. Um, that's been something really fascinating to watch play out. And uh, do you have folks from like different, um, I guess, continents or is it kind of, you know, relatively similar time zone? Because I'm just curious how that would work. I mean, everyone's in MENA. So, you know, the it, I mean, Jordan can be far away from Morocco in, in some people's, you know, calculations, but you and I are talking from the West Coast and the UAE, so it's not that right. bad. <laughs> I mean, we can make it work. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so, Katie, can you talk to us about how Donna was, you know, I know the story behind how it was created, but how did you, did you bootstrap the company? Um, did you get your own, like, how did that work? Like, how were you able to secure mm. the funding? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because when we got this whole thing started, it was like, we're going to build an accelerator. Great idea. Let's do it. And then we were like, oh, well, there isn't like one good business model for an accelerator. 
Um, and we very quickly realized that if we don't invest, um, you know, there isn't like a really, there isn't a serious valuable value proposition um, that we need to have more skin in the game and we need to have equity in the companies. And, you know, that realization was a very important one. So anyone out there listening who's thinking about starting an accelerator, you know, go for the VC right away together with the accelerator. It's really important. Um, but in the beginning, when we started, we definitely bootstrapped. We definitely, you know, worked for free for quite a long time, um, which if you don't love what you do is a problem. And um, we were lucky to get corporate sponsors on board as well. We had sponsorship from uh, Microsoft. We had sponsorship from Agricora, a leading uh, agritech company. Um, we had a few other sponsors, you know, just from here and there that sort of allowed us to kick it off. Uh, we did some friends and family funding as well. And then uh, we were really lucky to be able to raise from a few amazing angels like Joanne Wilson um, uh, and a few others who sort of uh, gave us the big boost. And uh, yeah, family offices from the region, from the U.S., um, and you know, the, the real, the real push came when we started to also raise money for seed funding, uh, because our investors wanted to see, you know, us also become investors. So I think there's a big appetite to see more women in investing. There's a big appetite to see more funding going to women led startups and not just support acceleration and incubation. Um, and I think that if that's something that, you know, someone's bringing to the table, you know, a lot of women investors, a lot of powerful women from the ecosystem really appreciate, you know, the importance of, of bringing funding. Cause in the end of the day, you know, female founders, there, there are our biggest, and not to be a cliche, but the biggest glass ceiling is still uh, fundraising. So you know, the, the kind of support that we can give these female founders is always going to be limited if, if we can't, you know, actually bring checks to the table. Right. Yeah. That's unfortunately still even the case in Silicon Valley, although it's changed a little bit, but really not as much as it should. Uh, so Katie, I want to move a little bit into the confessional part of the show and we're actually almost at time. I can't believe it. This has been so fascinating to hear from you. Uh, but I, I want to hear about how you keep yourself motivated and also how you deal with those tough times. I mean, you briefly spoke about how you worked for free at first um, and bootstrapped and really just believed in the vision. But how do you motivate yourself? And then how do you kind of like push forward when things get especially tough? It's it's a good question. And, you know, anyone who has started their own company knows that those moments can be really, really hard. Um, I have to say that, you know, it's all in, it's all in the team. Like if it wasn't for the incredible women I work with and there's so much diversity in our team. Like my two partners come from completely different worlds than I do. And, you know, we're just such different people, but I have, I have endless respect for, for who they are and what they've put on the line for this company. I, I oftentimes feel like, you know, 
their sacrifice was much riskier in a lot of ways than mine. So the fact that I feel that, you know, I have, I've made a commitment to these women. Um, I feel responsible for their success as well as mine. It's not just about me anymore. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, I I just, we always joke about the fact that it's like, we're married. We have a founder's agreement. It's (laughs) like, it's the same thing as a freaking ring. You know, it's like, uh, I, I owe these women a lot. And I, I feel like that relationship and that trust that we have and that, um, commitment that we've made is a really big source of motivation for me. I I care more about their success than I do about my own. Like if it, sometimes it gets so tough. I'm just like, you know what, if it was just my company, I would just leave, but you know what I, I owe, I owe this to them. So, so that's a really big factor. I think that, you know, having partners that you trust and that you believe in and that you want to see them bring their gifts to the world. Um, I think that that's a really, really important thing to have in a team. And also, you know, I, I really believe in what we're doing. Like, I love the idea that women are the ones who are going to bring a new way of life to our region, that it's women who, you know, are, are showing the rest of the society how to grow the plants in in a more you know lean, intelligent, and sustainable way. I want I, I love the idea that it's women who are saying no, like that's not garbage. That's a resource. I think that it's in our nature to think like that. You know, I think it's in our nature to think about the collective. And what, every time I see one of our founders sort of rising to success, it's like it all feels worth it. I you know, those days are just like nothing when I get to see our founders, uh, just sort of, you know, when, whenever they get to have an interview or, or whenever, and I'm going to send them to you, right. (laughs) Whenever, (laughs) whenever, whenever I see them sort of making it, it's like, wow, you know, this is really what it's about. And the, the effect that they have in their family and their community and their society, um, I don't know. I mean, that's that's the kind of region that I want to live in. So I'm really proud to be to be part of that. Mm. Wow, Katie, that's so inspiring, and I'm so moved by that comment. Uh, yeah, I absolutely would love to interview many of your founders <laughs> at Donna. I just think that it would be incredible. And what are some of the ways people can get in touch with you, learn more about you and learn more about Donna? Like, What would you say is your call to action to our audience? So anyone who's interested in jumping on board, whether as a mentor, as an intern, as a startup, you know, we, we, we talk to everyone who wants to talk to us. So please reach out. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, um, we're on Instagram kind of soon. Um, and you know, you can always reach out to me individually. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very accessible. I love to, you know, speak to new people and, and always, always up to learn, you know, there's, there's never, there's never a, a limit to how much we can know. So I'm always happy to learn from anyone who wants to share. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, oh, we're doing a lot of, programs we have a hackathon coming up we have a, a a women's angel course for emirati women coming up um we're working on a, ve- a bunch of events around uh, agriculture we have training courses coming up on our beta sites so you know just get in touch we we love to talk we love to 
schmooze. So reach out. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And we'll leave the link um, to the company in the show notes. Uh, and then one final question. I always ask my guests this. What is a book that you're either reading now or read recently that has inspired you? Uh, wow, so many. But just because we spoke with him this week, um, I'll say Sir Ronald Cohen's Impact. Um, anyone who's interested in impact investment, you know, I know that, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to speak about impact and to speak about impact investing and, and the metrics of impact measurement. But, uh, what's great about his book is that he really gives some concrete examples about how, um, creating impact can be just as much as of a value proposition as generating capital, um, which is something that in a world where, you know, food, resources, water, land are all things that are becoming scarce, uh, I think we can start to measure our success not only on uh, how much capital has been generated, but also, you know, how we're able to bring more resources into our economy. So I really recommend that book. It's it's an easy read. And uh, Ronnie's a, a great supporter of Dana. Amazing. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank this you, is so really wonderful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, likewise. This is so and inspired. thank you for and, your work. I, I have to say, I'm a big fan of the show and I, I love, you know, the kind of diversity that you bring on the show and just bringing more attention to what's happening in the region, especially from the West Coast, you know, bravo. It's really awesome. So thank you too. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I yeah, I sit on the board of Tech Wadi, so we do a lot of work between Silicon Valley and the Middle East, and I'm I'm really also passionate about bringing as much uh, support to the region as possible from a tech perspective. So thank you so much, and um, all the best. Take care for our audience. Thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals. 